The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Don Fry, it's a goddamn honor and a pleasure. Hey, partner, thank you. I, you know, like I said earlier, first time, first only time we met, I insulted you. It I don't was, remember that. It was down there in Alabama, right? <laughs> that was the early days, yeah, right? Yeah, number 12. Oh, USC 12. That was my first one. Yeah. What'd you say? Well, we were backstage, and, you know, they introduced us, and I says, you know, do you know who this guy is? They said, and I says, yeah, he, he plays that real dumb guy on, on the news radio show. <laughs> but <laughs> that's not so, an insult. You look so hurt. Then I find <laughs> out, I find out, you know, your character is really actually part of who you are. and <laughs> It's part of the problem. It's very, it was very close to who I am, unfortunately. <laughs> I've been watching you, man, you're a smart bastard, man. I'm impressed. I have a good memory. I'm not that smart, but uh, I have a good you, memory. You know what the hell's going on in a lot of stuff. I know what some some things. Some things. The Bob Lazar stuff? Oh, I mean, that's yeah. impressive. Are you interested in UFOs? Oh, yeah. 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 A lot of folks in Arizona are interested in UFOs. There's they visit there that. quite a bit, Yeah, seems like. Yeah, there's a... The house that I have, um, it was built, I guess, the guy who built it, um, built it so his wife could watch the UFOs <laughs> over at the mountain there. Wow, that's a high-maintenance lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they all are, aren't they? <laughs> but imagine that. Wait, what kind of house you want, honey? I want a house where I watch UFOs. Yeah. I need an observation deck. That's basically it. It yeah. was it was like a bunker. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah. Half of it's in the ground and half and then all the block, you know, you got the big sixteen by eight block and they're all filled with cement. Oh, so there's like, a lot of weird houses like that. There's a house for sale in Arizona right now. It used to be Steven Seagal's house. It might still be his house. He's selling it, but it's bulletproof. It's got bulletproof glass. It's like a compound. That guy's a goof. <laughs> He's a silly man. He's a fucking goof. <laughs> Beyond silly. He's a silly man. Yeah, I mean, he believes that shit, you know, who he is. You know? I don't know what he believes and what he's just bullshitting. It's hard to tell, you know? Oh, you can't bullshit that good. I mean, he's a lousy <laughs> actor. <laughs> he's a lousy actor. How the hell can you pretend to be that, you know? I, I mean, that's his hustle, right? His hustle is that he's just like uh Martial arts guy, but you know, he's really good at Aikido. <laughs> I'm sure you I'm watch sure. those demonstrations. <laughs> you know what? If I get a couple pro wrestlers to be <laughs> to be my my ukis, you know, yeah. <laughs> they make me look like a million dollars. That's true. That is that is what happens, right? They're all compliant. Mm -hmm. Don, how did you when when did you 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 started out was like UFC eight was that your first fight? You, no, it was first in UFC. I you, fought first before. UFC. Yeah, you fought boxing and kickboxing before that, right? No kickboxing. No, no kick I did boxing. Um, I think I had eight fights, and um, I think I was two and six or two five and one. I don't know because I fought my first two is Don Fry, and I won those. And then I had an argument with my trainer, and so we split. And then, so then I fought under J.R. Fry. Why'd you change your name? Well, that was my name growing up. I was junior, so J.R. Oh. And that's how I was in, you know, junior high, high school. And then, um, you know, when my dad and mom called me, and then... I think I changed my name because of uh, contractual, you know. Things. Oh, you had some deal with the manager. Where yeah, you had to, yeah, right. There's a lot of those sneaky deals, huh? 
Yeah, but um, that was more at the trainer. And, you know, I don't know if that was because they were really good guys. Uh, Art Martori was my money guy who, you know, they they the two Munos, Mike Munos and his father Al brought me to, to Art. Art wrestled at ASU back in the late 60s. And Art, uh, he's a billionaire, you know, and so he was in, interested in I mean, he, he basically funds ASU wrestling. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Out of his pocket, yeah. And he's done so much for amateur wrestling in the U.S. I mean, he's like the top dog because um, he, uh, he used to have what's called Sunkist Wrestling mm-hmm. Team. And uh, so that was his baby. And he, he steamrolled that. And um, then, like I said, uh, the Munoz brothers are... Mike and his dad took me to Art. Art said, all right, let's give it a shot. After he called, um, geez, the coach said Okie State, um, Joe Say, to double double check on me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so did you start it out wrestling? Did you wrestle as a young boy? No, sir. No, when did sir. you start wrestling? Uh, as a freshman in high school. And then when did you box? Uh... When I got out of college. Oh, so all, most of it was, you know, that's fairly late in life to box, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I was two and six. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you hear about the UFC? Um, I was a fireman, you know. I just did the boxing and then got out and did, started doing odd jobs for, you know, a year, year and a half. And... uh then my wife at that time, we had a couple horses, you know, and being a college wrestler, you got a bit of an ego on you. So I look at, well, hell, I could do that. So uh started going around with a farrier named Stoney Newfang, and then Stoney got me interested. Then I um, got tired of that. wasn't really making any good money, but, you know, for the time, he's giving me five bucks a horse, you know, teach me, you know, to pull the shoes, um, shape the shoe, you know, and all that good stuff. Well, he he did the technical work on the hooves. And then um, I said, you know, somebody told me about being a fireman, about, you know, working 10 days a month, you know, had a restaurant. Right. So, hell, that's a job for me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ten days a month, I can do that. You're doing the 24-hour shifts? We yeah. just stay there at the firehouse? Yeah. Yeah, so I got on the phone, called up all the cities in the state of Arizona. Nobody was hiring. So I called up Santa Fe, New Mexico. They said, yeah, we're going to run a test. And so I went over there and tested and passed the test. And then I went to uh, my buddy, Jerry Packenpaw. He's the guy who got me into wrestling um, when I was in high school. Can I borrow your lighter, please? Thank you. There you go. I'll leave that over there for you. Thank you, sir. Bring your man. (laughs) And um, so then I went and stayed at Jerry's house in Santa Fe, and I went through their I think it was like a six-month or, or more um, academy, you know. In the fire department? And fire really? Dep- six months? Yeah. Wow. It, it was a hell of an academy. It really was. And so from there, you thought about fighting? No, I had already fought. 
No, but I mean in the UFC. Oh, no. Um, from there, we were there a year, year and a half. Couldn't afford to live there. You know, either in Santa Fe, you're either real rich or real poor. Mm. You know, this was 30 years ago, so right. I, I don't know how it is now. But um, probably similar. Probably, yeah. <laughs> like the whole country now, right? Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be nice though. Santa Fe, a lot, oh, of, beautiful. lot of friends from there. Beautiful. Yeah. You never been? No, never been. Oh, you gotta go. Drive. I don't even think I've been to New Mexico except driving through once. Really? Yeah. Where'd you drive, Where'd you drive through it? I was a kid. I don't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't. Obviously, you haven't gotten to see uh, John Jones in. Huh? No, no, Jackson <laughs> Winkle John. I want to go down there and check out the gym though. How come you haven't? Just a busy man, Don Fry. Just a busy man. There's a lot of places I want to go. Yeah. Never been to North Dakota either. I have. I bet you have. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I I don't know why I said North Dakota. I saw the I saw the lights, man. That was cool. (laughs) Oh, the northern lights? Yeah. I want to see that. Oh, that is so cool, man. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, I did that. Um shit. After I had my first neck surgery back in two thousand. Buddy, me and a couple buddies went uh did the Amsterdam thing, you know, mm-hmm. and that was real cool. We saw the lights up there. Would you have done on your neck? You have it fused? Yeah, they. I had broken it uh, doing pro wrestling, and worked on it for a year and a half, not knowing, you know. Oh but, Jesus! Yeah, and but I'd lost so much muscle in the in the right arm, you know, and um, so the. They fixed it, and I had a really nice, um, I can't remember her name, and I'm talking a lot. I never talk this much. <laughs> That's what a podcast is all about. Joe, I don't talk this much in, in a month, man. Well, we can take breaks. You've done a hell of a... <laughs> must, must be all the... Must have got the right combination of pain pills today, in a way. <laughs> so, um, out of all the injuries that you ever got in your fighting career was the pro wrestling injuries the worst yeah yeah pro wrestling is probably one of the hardest things that a guy can do athletically yeah because those guys do it every fucking night all the guys that i've had in here you know the undertaker uh diamond dallas page all, all these guys like every one of them when they tell you their stories you go jesus christ jake the snake those guys are so banged up yeah I'm trying to get rick flair Woo! Oh, I love Rick. I love Rick. He's Working so on it, Rick. Funny. Yeah, he's yeah. so funny. Oh, he's a goddamn legend. Um, so when you when you first heard about the UFC, so you were a firefighter then, or mm, well, uh, you had back been. to the back to the yeah. You know, like I said, we were in Santa Fe for a year, year and a half, and then couldn't afford to live there, and uh, so I got on the phone and said, "Well, shit, you know, we still had horses." And still paying farrier, so well shit, I can do that. So I found Oklahoma horseshoeing school in Okie City, and so I moved my wife back home to my parents' house, you know, and I went to Oklahoma horseshoeing school for their twelve-week program. Oh wow! And so I did that, and then when I came back to uh, Arizona, Sierra Vista, um, hooked up with a guy named. Um, Oh, jeez, this is going to um, Tyler Basinger. Tyler's a magician. He's a farrier. Just a magician. And he paid me $5 a horse, you know, and fed me lunch. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, so I was learning how to shoe horses from him, you know, doing apprenticeship. 
starting my own business. I got on as a firefighter reserve, you know, the place called Fry Fire Department, you know, F-R-Y, no relation, the old man uh, had an outpost store outside of Fort Huachuca, you know, 150 years ago, and also a whorehouse. <laughs> this is like old school Western shit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so then I then I had, sometime I worked at a um, psych facility too, you know. A psych facility? Psychological. Oh, yeah. psychological facility? Yeah. What'd you do there, like restrain patients? Yeah. Yeah. And, and What's harder, horseshoeing? Or restraining patients? Well, worse than that, I broke a kid's arm, so, you know, just a headlock. So the, you know, they they did a breakout where, you know, 20 or 30 of them run off, and then you got to herd them back in. And really? Well, yeah, and a couple of them act out, and one of the guys had the kid restrained from he had him from behind, had his arms pinned. Kid started slamming his head into oh, his Jesus. face. So I just walked up to the headlock, and we landed, snapped his arm. Oh, no. Yeah, that kind of kind of put a damper on things. Yeah. yeah. Was that the end of your restraining patience? Yeah, that was in the end of that career. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it make its way to the UFC? Do you remember when you found out about the UFC? Yeah, then um, I think that was still a year or two before. So this is like 92, something yeah. like that? Yeah, and then um, I started doing judo, you know, because I needed, you know, I needed something to do, you know. Right. Uh, you know, you're 22, 24 years old. You, you know, you used to be a college athlete. You, you know, you still walk around with an erection. You know? Right. I understand. And um, so I started doing judo and advanced really quickly in that. And, um, hell, so then, then we were, I got on the Bisbee Fire Department in 94. Bisbee, 92. Arizona? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Shout out to Doug Stanhope. He's the king of Bisbee. Yeah. That's what I hear. I met him one time. Did man. you? Yeah, at the uh, airport. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he says, <laughs> you're a firefighter. I used to be. This shit, this was probably 15, 18 years ago. Sure. Oh, wow. <laughs> And, um, yeah, where the hell are we now? So you were talking about when you first heard 90, about the UFC. Yeah, 92, I got on with the Bisbee Fire. Right. And then we were sitting there watching something on TV and saw Dan, clip of Dan. Dan Severn? Uh-huh. And uh, then he was doing some kind of bodyguard work with um, that gal who works with... I'm bad at names. I had That's a okay. I had a stroke, you know, a few years ago. You did a hemorrhagic stroke, yeah, after surgery. Oh shit! So I get lost sometimes. Um, um, fuck me. You can edit this. Yeah, right? it doesn't matter anyway. So Dan was doing bodyguard work. Yeah, for Robin from um, who's a radio guy in New York? Robin City. Quivers, yeah, Howard Stern. Right. right. Oh really? No yeah. shit. And his in his gray T-shirt. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Everybody's in suits and dances in his gray T-shirt. <laughs> and so uh, they, you know, then we saw Dan fight, and I called him up. I said, "Fuck," you know. I said, "Dan, just Don Fry. Remember me?" He goes, yeah. What are you doing, Don? I was just playing fireman, playing horseshoe. You know. I was just, 
Can you, I said, this UFC stuff, can you get me in on it? And he says, yeah. So he ended up getting me some fights, probably about five or six fights, you know, around the country. And, uh, you know, the check's still in the mail, you know. Um, was not, this pre-UFC? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you fought MMA before the UFC? Oh, it was it was warehouse fighting. Yeah. yeah. It was MMA. Is it right, HB. right. So, right. Uh, and well, HB yeah, is what they called it back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah no holds barred. Right. right. So you wear shoes, you do whatever you want. Yeah, was you it do bare knuckle? You want. Yeah, yeah. In your day, and even in the UFC eight, it was you were still allowed to fight bare knuckle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I wore gloves because yeah. I hit hard. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, and smart gloves aren't made to protect your face. Right, they're made to protect my hands. Who's so the first guy to harder. wear gloves in the UFC? Tank. Was it Tank? Yeah, yeah. smart, yeah. smart move. He hits hard. He hits hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Holy shit, I remember your fight with Tank. What a fucking fight that was. My God. You know, and it didn't make uh, top ten of the one-round fights. Oh, I don't I have no idea why it doesn't. Well, it's because there's so many great fights. It's well, arbitrary who makes top ten, but I think it should have been in there. That was uh, a classic. Nobody knows. Nobody knows anything about UFC 100 and be a war. Oh, know? I do. Well, I remember, you do, I Joe. You're all a student, that shit. and you were there. I was there. But the new fans. Yeah, they should go back because that's... That's the history of the sport. I always tell people we knew more about martial arts after four years of the UFC than it had been done in 400 years. Right. We knew more. We knew what worked and what didn't work. We, we saw so many different things. So many different things. Like By the time 97 rolled around, we they had figured out, so, first of all, they realized wrestling is the most important thing. Yeah. It's the most important thing. So well, it's to, like still a, to this it's day. It's like a street fight, yep. two and a half hours every day. You know, right. it really is. It is, yeah. And it's just the the ability to take a guy down. If you look at, um, somebody posted it. It might have been Adam Hunter on his page. I think it was on his Instagram page. He posted uh, the amount of champions per discipline. You know, it showed like uh, jujitsu, kickboxing, all the different, and then wrestling. It's number one. Right. Number right. one out of all, right. the, all the different disciplines, that's the most important discipline. Well, it's the hardest thing to do. Yep. There, there's... I mean, you're doing it every day in high school, every day in college, and there's no excuses, you know. Yep. Um, and the most mentally tough, too. Yeah. Because, first of all, they're cutting weight. They're cutting weight the day of the event. Mm -hmm. they're, they're competing dehydrated and exhausted. And wrestlers, amongst all athletes that I've ever met, take pride in being miserable. <laughs> they really do. Yeah, here it is. It is Adam. Adam Hunter put it up there. Look at that. 28 professional champions from wrestling. The second place is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The third place is boxing and then kickboxing below that, Muay Thai, and then two Taekwondo and one karate. <clears throat> it's amazing. All right, but, all right, but the jiu-jitsu, uh, how, how many of those champions were in the first few years? I mean, cause, right, right. Excuse me. As soon as we figured it out. Well, boom. now everybody does everything, but right. I, th I still think that base is the most important base. The wrestling, wrestling. base. Because yeah. a dominant wrestler, a guy like a Daniel Cormier, a guy like a John Jones, a guy who's an elite wrestler, they have that advantage over everybody. If shit gets weird, they could take the guy down yeah. at any time. Right. Or if they just decide to impose their will, they could take the guy down. Or if you want to take them down because they're striking, they're out striking you, you can't because they're wrestling so right. good. Yeah, it's, it's just such a, it's such a giant advantage. Sprawl and snap your head into the mat. <laughs> yeah. But you were one of the first guys to enter the UFC that had... They look like real polished skills. 
when you came out you. guns blazing, you won your first fight by first round knockout. And I remember watching on TV, I'm like, that motherfucker can fight. Oh, like, because yeah, you're you. seeing people that a lot of times you're seeing folks that probably shouldn't have been there. Like, yeah. there was back in the day, like, you remember the early days, there was guys that were like, they trained in ninjutsu and right. they, were, they were practicing like karate chopping people on the top of the heads and all kinds of wacky shit shit you never heard of yeah. right? but when i saw you i was like okay that, that guy's an actual fighter and when you see the way you were throwing punches and your your wrestling ability and you and you were a good size too you weren't too big you weren't too small right. you probably weighed like what 210 something like that yeah it was 05 205 and i said 210 because sounded you know, better well i knew i was going to gain weight through that year, you know, because yeah. that was the plan. Yeah, I was a fireman and I was shooting horses in Arizona. You know, you're working six, seven days a week, you know, and I knew as soon as I gave it up, I, you know, right. ten, 10 pounds going to come on real fast. Right, right. And everybody was chasing. That was when Mark Coleman and UFC 12 was when Mark Coleman became the champion when he beat uh, Dan, Dan Severn. Right. And Mark was. 265 pounds. He was a monster. He was a fucking gorilla. Like, yeah. people forget. He had everybody gaining weight. Yeah. Everybody gained weight when they saw the hammer. They're like, fuck. They got no choice. Yeah, yeah, you had to. They shot that power double. And that was the headbutt days, too. Yeah, yeah. The, the, when Mark would get on top of you and, and get control of you and start smashing his head into your face, those are quick nights. It wasn't fun, yeah. No. Because um, Dan started that, and then I did it, and then Mark did it. Yep. You know, and somehow Mark became the grandfather of it. So I guess I'm a great grandfather, <laughs> Dan's great great grandfather. Yeah. Of ground and pound. Yeah. 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 It was uh it was a real wake up call for a lot of people. But so was the jujitsu, right? When Hoist Gracie tapped Dan Severin, that was a wake up oh, call yeah. for a lot of people. Like, how the fuck is he doing that? Off his back? Oh yeah. With his legs? That was that the the Gracies they changed martial arts changed the it. world over. Yep. You know. Yeah. I think they're the most important family in the history of, of all martial arts. Yeah. I mean, that was their plan, you yeah. know, and, and it was a great it. plan. The whole thing, what was brilliant about it, it was like a paid infomercial. Yeah, it was. You paid for. Yep. You know? Right, <laughs> you paid right. $20, you know. <laughs> you laugh at it now. Back then, 20 bucks was a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you paid $20 to sit there and watch an infomercial, but- it was brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, so, so exciting. When you had your first fight, you had your first fight in the UFC. Once it was over, once you won, were you like, okay, this is what I'm doing now? Yeah, yeah. I won. I won that, and I'm like, you know, I love this. This is fun. Back to being competitive, you know. Because um, my my athletic career was like this you know it really was ups and downs yeah you know i'd I get burnt out and walk away you right. know <laughs> and um yeah real short attention span i guess you know but when you saw what the ufc was where you could take guys down or you could stand up with them strike it was it was such a unique thing that just appealed to you yeah because i wasn't afraid to get punched in the face right you know <laughs> that helps yeah it does <laughs> for sure and you know, because there's a a lot of wrestlers, they go in there and the bam, you get hit in the bridge of the nose, it changes your opinion real fast. Everything, <laughs> it, Joe? Yeah, your eyes water punched, up. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> now, did you think at that point in time that this was something that you that this was going to be a real sport? Because a lot of people weren't sure if it was going to last back then, right. like UFC eight when you you entered. 
it was like it was still kind of crazy. It was when I came around was UFC 12, and they were banned from uh, pay per view on uh, everything except Directv. Right. Directv was the only people that had them on. You couldn't get it on cable anymore because uh, boxing was in cahoots with John McCain, yeah, and Budweiser, and all that stuff. And they were, yeah, that guy's dirty. You was know, he dirty? Right? Oh, yeah, he's dirty. Mm. Yeah, I oh, mean, he's gone now. Rest in peace. Yeah, he um. <laughs> You know, he he was a paid boxing advisor to Don King. You know, the guy didn't know what the fuck he was dead. Oh. No, you know. So when this came around, it was beating boxing, like you said. Mm-hmm. And so Don King said, "Hey, put the boots to this." You know, yep. that's what happened. I mean, his wife, you know, was the head of Henley Distributing. You know, Henley Beer, Budweiser oh, really? Beer. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. But well, I, I knew he did something with Budweiser, and that had a big impact on his. We married Budweiser. Yeah, uh, that had a big impact on how the UFC was uh, whether whether or not it was legal because they started banning it from everywhere. Yeah, that and, was that was the big joke. Is mm-hmm. um, after the fights, you can go to the hospital, or you can go to the after party. But number three is you can go to jail, too. Right, know, yeah. We didn't know. We didn't know if we were going to come out and get slapped in cuffs right. and hauled away, you know, or they're going to let us finish the event and then arrest everybody. Do you remember when Dan Dan fought Ken Shamrock? I think it was in Denver, and they told him they couldn't punch his face and close fists? There was a, some kind of crazy law. Where they couldn't punch. No, that's Detroit. Was it Detroit? Yes, sir. Was it Michigan? UFC, oh, okay. UFC nine. Yeah. Oh, okay. When and everybody was going, what the fuck is going on? Like they were told before the event that they can't punch with closed fists. Right. right. There was so many crazy rules like that. When I st- when I, the first event I did was supposed to be in New York. It was supposed to be. I think it was supposed to be in Albany. Albany or Buffalo? I think Albany. Buffalo. Was it Buffalo? Maybe Albany. But it was upstate New York somewhere, and then it got moved last minute to Dothan, Alabama, and that's where I met you. Yeah. Yeah, that was UFC 12. That's when Vitor made his debut, fought uh, Trey Telegman, and uh, that was was when Mark Coleman fought uh, Dan. That was, uh, there was a lot of great fights on that card. Yeah, Trey Telegman was tough. I mean, just didn't not. To be missing a breast, you know? Yeah, one, missing one peck, a built peck, like a tank. A breast, yeah. yeah a yeah. breast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Trey. Scott, you fought Scott Ferrozo, too. That was a tournament yeah. that night. Vitor won the tournament, 19 years old. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Lightning bolt, that guy was. He was amazing. You believe he's going to fight Oscar De La Hoya? Really? Yeah, he's going to have a boxing match September 11th with Oscar De La Hoya. You got to oh. think, that guy was fighting, I mean, well, so was Oscar. I mean, Oscar was a world champion in 97. And here it is, 97, and Vitor makes was his octagon born? debut. What's that? Was he even born in 97? Oscar? <laughs> yeah. Oscar's in his no, 40s. No, Vitor? Uh, Vitor. Yeah. Vitor was 19 then. Yeah. So Oscar's a little older than Vitor, I believe. I believe Oscar's like 48 or something like that. It's crazy seeing these guys still getting after it after all these years. I'd like to. You'd like to? Yeah, if your I'm, body would hold up, I'm gonna go down there to Columbia and do the bio accelerator. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, the plan on that is do that, and hopefully, you know, make make a comeback. You know? Really? Shit, yeah, Joe. <laughs> I love it. Shit, yeah. I mean, I'd love to fight Nagano. Nagano? Yeah. Really? Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be better to fight someone your age? 
Why? They, uh, don't, they don't have the belt, do they? No. So you'd want to fight someone with the belt, even yeah. even at your age. Yeah. That's why you're Don Fry. Yeah. Because you think like that. Yeah. If I can get my back fixed up, I'm there, puppy. What's going on with the back right now? Um. Hell, I've had uh probably five major, five or six major back surgeries and then probably related 15 to 20 related you know because infections and mm -hmm. things like that jesus and uh yeah <laughs> and the infections tried to get me a couple of times and staff uh, MRSA, yeah like staff yeah. yeah i had Scary one shit. one time i had it inside the spinal cord you know and, mm. <laughs> or twice actually twice and the Is damn, this your back yeah Jesus Christ, Don! That looks like a roller coaster ride. <laughs> How many discs do you have fused? Uh, I don't know if it's eleven discs or eleven um, um, vertebrae. Yeah. How many vertebrae does a human have? Twenty some. So you got half of them are fused. Wow! Give me some pictures. Let me see these. Look at that lower left. Oh Jesus Christ! Look at that lower left one of your back. Holy fuck, Don! Yeah, it's yeah, gonna put a zipper on it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That is crazy. So they just went in and did the whole back all at once. That's some Wolverine no, shit. No, what happened is um. Whoa! So that's the infection. Is that why you that was the after the infection? Yeah, they're, they're draining it, and they had to leave it open for a week. Oh, um, so that boy. They, the plastic surgeon could figure out how to connect it because I was out uh, out of connective tissue. It was all scar tissue. So, oh my god, he left it open for a week. He had to cut it, pull, cut it, pull, cut it, pull. You know, <sighs> wow, that is wild. So is this mostly from pro wrestling, or is it from everything? Uh, I would say everything. I mean, you know, as a fireman, as a horseshoer, you know. Jamie, go back. Go back three pictures. The the one that shows the neck and the back. That one. Look at that. So you got a few that are just hanging in there, and then yeah. you got your, your your neck fused. That is goddamn wild. Well, that's. It goes all the way down the crack of my ass. You know, my, my ass crack goes from my balls up to my shoulder blades. <laughs> wow, that is crazy. So it's just all scar tissue in there and, and bolts and screws and plates. and. Yeah, so if I can go down there to Columbia and get, you know, the stem cell. You might have to live there for a few years. Yeah. Just have <laughs> shoot you up every day. Yeah. Who knows? I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, stem cells. They can do some wild shit down there. Yeah. I know a lot of guys have gone to that bioaccelerator thing and uh, that, that facility down there and had a, a, a really good result. Yeah, I'm excited about it. You know, look at me. I'm giddy. I can hardly sit still. Have you had any stem cells before? No, sir. It's, no, sir. It's, they can do amazing stuff, but, you know, that's a lot. Of, that's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. You know, they're going to do my shoulders, too, because yeah. I have um, partial replacements in my shoulders. What do you what do you got going on there? Like resurfaced? Uh, no, just wore them out. You know, you said partial replacements. Like, yeah. Did uh, did they resurface the shoulders? Is that what they did? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just you know, um, cut the end off. You know, and then stuck the one thing and just uh, with the knob. And the other side is all natural bone. You know? Right. Yeah. Because they said if they do a full replacement, you can't use them. They're no good. So, oh, really? You yeah. can't put stress on them. Yeah, so I said, "The hell with that! I want to, you know, I want to do something." Right? Are you able to work out now? Not yet. No? Um, I just had this done. 
this right one was done in 17, I think, December 17. This one just got done last December. When did you get your first surgery after fighting? How many years in were you? After fighting? Like, you mean during fighting, during your career? Oh, during fighting. Yeah. Hell. Because everybody's had a surgery. Right. I'm not, I've never met a single fighter. Maybe, maybe I have and I forgot. But most fighters that I know has had something blow out. Right. You know? Well, uh, let's see. I think in 2001 was when they did my neck. So that was the first one. Yeah. Because I did that from pro wrestling to war. You know, because... I did the UFC in 96, and then in 97, I was hired by Antonio Inoki and Masa Saito to do New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm -hmm. And um, Brad Reagan's, um, he's a cousin of Brock Lesnar, second cousin. So he, call, he called up Jeff, you know, because Brad took fourth in the Olympics in 76 in Greco-Roman. Mm. And then he was on the team in 80. Um, when and he was going to be the gold medal winner, and he had beaten the gold medal winner in '76, but they were doing the point system then, you know. So he got screwed out of them. What's the point system? Oh, uh, oh you get so many it? points, so many points for advancing, so many points for a pin, so many oh. points for you know a point win. So you they know. changed it. Yeah, so they went they went back to the normal. I mean. Amateur wrestling fucks around so much, you know, with the rules, and so does judo. Have you paid attention to the PFL at all? No, I have not. I was watching that today. I was watching in the gym while I was working out, and they have, uh, it's interesting, they have real good fighters over there, some real good fighters, but they have some wacky thing that they do where you get a certain amount of points for a submission, right? certain amount of points for a knockout, and then you move ahead, right? And, but it's like uh, you're scoring. Yeah. Like, you, like, so it goes, and they call it the playoffs, and then you're moving towards this eventual million-dollar tournament that they put together. But that's, that's how they were doing it with um, judo and with amateur wrestling. Yeah. yeah, but their thing is weird. They're, they're, the way they have it set up, like if you win, but if you win in the first round, you get extra points. Right, if you win, right. you know, if you miss weight, you lose a point. So they have uh, it's a it's a it's a hard to follow. So even for someone like me, who's a big fan of the sport. I can't follow their system. I'm like, you got great fighters, but you're confusing the shit out of people with this wacky system. Yeah. Well, you miss weight, your ass to be gone. I think that's a good call. I think you should not be able to fight, or I think there there should be some major penalty yeah. because a lot of these guys are choosing to miss weight. Right. You yeah. know, they're yeah. choosing to miss weight. Absolutely. They're like, I don't want to do this. Fuck it. And yeah. then, then, but you could, but you know that's going to drain you. Mm -hmm. And so they choose to come in a, a pound or two heavy. And then they feel a lot better the next day, right? Because there's, you know, you know better they than have anybody. A better chance of winning yeah. too. Yeah, a better know? chance of winning because they're not as drained. A lot of these guys are cutting. A tr tr I wish there was no weight cutting. That's what I really wish. I wish you got down to a healthy weight and you fought at whatever weight you're at, and they just figured out what what the weight classes could be to make it so that there's more options. Well, make it every a ten five pounds pound range or what? Something like that. Like boxing has it, but I think with MMA. I think the, the weight classes are too wide. You know, you got yeah. 85 and then you got 205. That's crazy. That's 20 pounds. To, to have two weight classes separated by 20 pounds is just fucking nuts to me. I think it should be, I would love it if it was five pounds, but I think 10 pounds is, is fine. 10 yeah. pounds is workable. You know, you could adjust your diet, adjust your training habits, 
do a little extra running, whatever you got to do to. Right. But, but, but more than that. Then you get into the, what happened in pro boxing. You end up having 80 champions. You know? That's what the argument against it is, right? But the thing about pro boxing is, you know, you have all these different organizations. You got the WBC, WBA, IBO, right. you know, all that shit. With, with the UFC, if they just kept it in the UFC, just with the UFC and made all these different weight classes, one every 10 pounds, I think is very doable. Yeah. Yeah. But... And it'd be a lot more opportunities for guys to go up in weight or down in weight and fight, you know, have champion versus champion fights. Like when Israel Adesanya fought Yabohovic. You know, you got your middleweight champion fighting your light heavyweight champion. The size difference is so big. Right. It's a giant size difference. Well, that's why they need a super heavyweight. Yeah, you know? I think so too. Yeah. I mean, that's why cut it off at 285? 265, yeah, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You have so many uh, good fighters that are heavier. I mean... Rulon um, Gardner. Yeah. Like Rulon Gardner is like a 300-pounder. Well, Erickson. Tom yep, Erickson. Tom Erickson. You know? Yeah, he was like a 300-pounder, yeah, right? He yeah. was... When in his prime, people <laughs> forgot about Tom Erickson. He's frightening. Holy yeah. Shit, he was terrifying. <laughs> uh, elite wrestler who could knock you the fuck out, and he was huge, mm -hmm. and he moved like a cat. Yeah. When in his prime, Tom Erickson was one of the scariest specimens to ever compete in MMA. Yeah. He was a fucking gigantic man who moved so good. But he's another one that didn't like getting punched in the face, though. Yeah, who does? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> well, you're you're an unusual guy, Don Fry. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you first fought and you decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, when the, the UFC was taken off, how, you you stayed in the UFC for a few years and then went over to Pride. When when did you find out about Pride? No, I stayed in the UFC one year. Only one year? Yeah, '96, and then I went to pro wrestling. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So you, all your fights in the UFC were only one year? One year. Wow, no shit. Yeah. And none of them went the distance. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. And then from New Japan Pro Wrestling, you. so how'd you find out about then that? Then I went to Pride. Did they contact you from the UFC? Yes, sir. They contacted me. Yes, mm. sir. Um, mm. Because... God bless uh, Ken Shamrock. You know he he had the deal. Right, he had a connection over there. Well, no, they they want they signed. They were gonna, they offered him a deal to go over there and be a bad guy American shooter style. You know, mm. and so he took that contract, rented WWE, right, and showed them, and they matched it or bettered it. You know, and. Um, then that left New Japan Pro Wrestling hanging. So oh. that's when Masa Saito called Brad Reagans. Brad Reagans called Jeff Blatnick. God bless late Jeff Blatnick. Yeah. He recommended he me. Yeah. What a great guy Jeff yeah, Blatnick he was. was. He uh, he gave me some great advice when I first started working for the UFC. Just yeah. such a sweetheart of a guy. What? He, how did he go? How did he pass? Uh, was it a heart? Was it a heart attack? I think so. Sweetheart of a guy, though. He was a good guy. Really good guy. Um, and an elite wrestler, too. And just fantastic. Gold medal. Yeah. On. And fantastic doing commentary because yeah. of that that experience. He was, like you, he was a student of the sport. You yeah, know? he really He was. got hired and studied it and, you know, mm -hmm. he was amazing. Yeah, he was an amazing guy. And when, so you go over to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and that's when you were getting most of your injuries, you think? Yes, sir. Because I was... 
I was trying to be Ric Flair and Terry Funk, you know, <laughs> and uh, they didn't want that, you know. They they wanted more of a Bruiser Brody type thing, right. but, you know. They wanted you the badass American cowboy, right? Yeah, right. yeah, and not to take the bumps, you know. Right. I end up taking bumps that I shouldn't have taken. So that's the thing about progressing, right? People think, oh, it's fake. Yeah, listen, the fucking those slams are not fake. No. You're really getting slammed, you know. Those picking guys up over your head, slamming them down, them picking you up, all the different uh, the collisions that you guys would have with each other night after night after night. And is their circuit over there similar to the circuit here? Would you do a lot of different shows, or are they mostly televised? How'd they do it over there? Yeah, you did a lot of dark matches, you know. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. I mean, that's how they keep the money coming in. Right. They do arenas, just right. like they do in America. Right. Yeah, people don't know, uh, if you're not a fan of pro wrestling, those guys are working hundreds of nights a week, or a year, rather. They're, they're, you, they're working, you know... Uh, Dallas Page was telling me that he, you know, sometimes did 200 plus shows a right. year. Some guys which is, do 300. You it's know? incredible. Yeah. If you, you stop and think about that. 365 days in a year. Yeah. You know? It's and crazy. You're, you're, yeah, you're getting whacked, you know. Most of them. Yeah, you're, you're working more days than you're not working. Right. Which is just... And the travel. Yeah, and the travel. So you're exhausted all the time, you're jet lagged, and you're getting slammed. Yeah, and yeah. you got to stay in shape, and yep. you got to eat. And uh, yeah. it, it, it's a work. It's a real, you know, it's a real living. <laughs> now, when you went over there, did you have to go to pro wrestling school? Did they train you how to do it? Brad Reagan's trained me. He did? Yeah. Yes, sir. And Brad, you know, phenomenal. He, he's a phenomenal athlete, you know. And like I said, you know, he uh, took fourth in the 76 Olympics in Montreal when he should have won. And then he would have won the 80 Olympics, you know, and then uh, then he ended up, he got out, you know, and he trained Jeff Blatnick, you know, because they were tight, and since uh, Brad stepped away, you know, all the concentration was on, on Jeff. And how did you go from New Japan Pro, Pro Wrestling to Pride? Ego. Ego, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw Mark Coleman win, you know. Oh. I said, mother. You know, I, I said, that, that's nonsense. I, that should be me, <laughs> you know. <sighs> Stupid. So what year was that? What, was, what year was your uh, your first Pride fight? Uh, hell, partner. First, 01. 01? Yeah, it was. That uh, was the glory days. Yeah, it was. Two weeks after 9-11, I think it was either 23rd or 28th. Wow. You know? Wow. And I went in there, you know, with, um, I told my parents, find me a flag, you know, give it to the guys when they come over. And uh, my mother-in-law made those shorts for me. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, you know, and then I says, you know, go in with the national anthem. You know? Nice. Oh, it was, it was amazing, you know, walking at the flag, have national anthem. It was, it was, it was cool. Look at you there, Don yeah. Fry, twenty years ago. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's jeez, jeez. Is it? What year is this? <laughs> that fight in the lower corner, that the Takiyama fight. That was one of the 
craziest fucking moments in the history of mixed martial arts when you and Takayama were just slamming each other in the head yeah. over and over and over again. God bless him, man. Jesus yeah. Christ, that fight. Yeah. Well, see if you could just pull up that exchange because in, in all the history of the sport, that is one of the most iconic exchanges. Yeah. Of any two, because you couldn't believe it was happening, and you couldn't <laughs> believe you couldn't believe you guys kept doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should be where I was at. <laughs> <laughs> I mean this this fight was so fucking bananas. I mean, you just walk towards each other, and just this fucking exchange is like a movie exchange. In the tie-up, you're both hitting each other with right hands. I mean, yeah, it's actual what, speed. What yeah, in right. the fuck is that? How the hell did you guys do that? Well, if you go back, you see I slip. So I grab him, though, you know, because I slipped. I had to grab his neck to keep from falling. And so he just stayed there and I stayed there. Just nuts. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before or since. That was a, while, while that was happening and you just slamming right hands into each other like that, what was, what was going through your head? I was like, what the hell's keeping this guy up? <laughs> He was probably thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> but I hit hard, Joe. I yeah, hit hard. You do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you hit him with some fucking haymakers. Oh, man. And I, I couldn't believe he was taking them. And I was like, starting to scare the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> was that one of those 80,000 seat shows? One of those gigantic ones they did? I think it was only 45. <laughs> Small show, <laughs> a, a medium show, because yeah. they did some uh, some Saitama Super Arena shows where it was just insanity. Oh, we did uh, Tokyo Dome. I did Antonio Noki's retirement match. Oh yeah, Tokyo Dome seventy thousand. So they sold that out, and then they sold five thousand standing tickets. You know, wow. They got permission from the fire department to do that. So I did that, and then they did the. Um, National Soccer Arena, you know, for uh, Pride K One New Year's Eve event. Oh wow! That's when that's when um, uh, Jerome Lebano knocked knocked mm. me on my ass. <laughs> yeah, you had that one kickboxing fight against him. That's uh, that's a crazy deal to take to take a kickboxing fight against one of the great kickboxers of all time. Yeah, yeah. And um, was that an ego deal too? Yeah, ego. And, well, the thing is, the deal was we were supposed to do a an MMA, MMA fight. fight. Yeah, and then he backed out of that. I don't know what happened, but Just man, there happened. There's a lot of things that happened, Joe, that I'm finding out now. You know, 20 years later, that uh, he, you know, the the two scumbags that were my agent at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so they made some backdoor deals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. That's the sport, right? The sport, yeah, that's prize the fighting. There's always going to be scumbags. Prize fighting is full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I was, I'm watching this, um, uh, the King's documentary on Showtime. Have mm -hmm. you seen it? No, I just found out about it yesterday. Oh, it's fucking amazing. It's amazing. It's so good. It's all about Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearns, and Marvin Hagler. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. It's so good. And it makes you remember, like, man, those days were wild. Well, they they had the one once we were kings, mm -hmm. you know, about with, the heavyweight guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah this is uh, just about those four guys and, like, the, you know, the, the matches that they had with each other. 
Well, the the ones who were kings were about Ali, Foreman, Frazier, mm-hmm. Norton, yep, and yep. Holmes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those yeah. were some those are animals there. You know. Yeah, my God, some but al- I, amazing fights. I loved Hagler. <laughs> oh my God, he's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I loved Hagler. It broke my heart when I finally freaking passed. Yeah, man. that I was a rough one. That, that was a rough one. That made me real sad. He yeah. was, uh, when I was a kid, he was my idol. Yeah. Because he was just like this guy that didn't have any hype behind him, a hardworking guy from Brockton, Massachusetts, just blue collar, just always outworked everybody. Yeah. And just wouldn't stop. And then when he got to the pinnacle, when he knocked out Thomas Hearns, that fight was just like, that was the fight that made him. And people really understood what kind of greatness that man had right. in him. I mean, people knew how good he was before that, but you had to see him against another superstar and see him just wade right into the fire to see what Tom, what you know Thomas Hearns was a murderous oh, puncher, he's a monster, murderous mm-hmm. puncher, and to see Marvin Hagler just take it and keep coming <laughs> forward, what a fight! And it, and it was a fight. It was barely a boxing match. Yeah. It was a fight. You know, I mean, they made it a war. Well, they had that on their hat, right? Yeah. Yep. That was that was Hagler. Yeah, he put war on everything. Yeah. <laughs> he's. He was something special, you know. He was yeah. an, an inspiration in Massachusetts. Everybody, I still question um, the Leonard decision. Yeah, yeah, I thought he won that fight. Yeah, yeah, I thought he won that fight. But I did love the fact that he retired. He said, "That's it, I'm done. Fuck this sport. Yeah, I'm going to Italy and make martial arts movies." <laughs> How did he do? <laughs> were they good? Any good? Yeah, they were terrible. Terrible yeah. movies, but he made a lot of money. You know, he was a superstar over there. Were, were any worse than? Uh, Dipshit, huh? Oh, they were worse, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, they were crazy bad, but they were comically bad. They were like, uh, you know, like you'd punch people, they go flying through the air, that yeah. kind of shit. You ever seen? <laughs> no. See, you find some clips. Jamie's found some clips. They were hilarious movies, you know. Um, but you know, he decided he didn't want to fight anymore and went out at the very top of his game. Yeah, which is kind of incredible. There's only a few guys have ever done that. Andre Ward did that. He did that, you know. Only a few guys ever just went out. Uh, the guy from UFC, George St. Pierre, uh, no. Khabib, Khabib Nurmagomedov, yeah, Khabib. yeah, Khabib did it. Yeah, I mean Khabib and Khabib and um, but I mean, no, very few guys have ever gotten to the point where Khabib is and and decided. I mean, he's in, in his early thirties. Right. Like, this is Marvin Hagler here. So look at this. Right, see, shoot, look at this. Shooting the boat, <laughs> they shooting the arrows yeah. at the airplane, or I don't know what he was doing. But look at this. they just—these are terrible movies. Indigo, huh? Indigo, Indio, Indio. Oh, yeah. Indio. There's just uh, these like silly movies. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's shooting at the roof. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. It's just crazy. They're just uh, Italian movies. But he was a, a huge star over there. I guess he learned Italian. See, he punches that guy. Wow. Goes, guy goes flying through the air. That's a hell of a hook. Look at this. Uppercut. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. But there's some, someone has to do something like that on the early days of Pride. They really do. Because the Pride was something special. Because for us that were watching it at home, the, all the fans, we it, was a, it wasn't known. It wasn't like everybody, like the UFC today, say if um, Francis Ngannou's fighting or if Stylebender's fighting, everybody knows. It's big. Right, it's a huge right. sport, you know? 
You know, you find out the events coming this weekend, hundreds of thousands, if not a million pay-per-view buys. It's a big deal. But back then, Pride was, no one knew over here. Yeah. Only the martial arts fans knew. It wasn't a big deal. But we knew that we were seeing something special. Well, it was like a Super Bowl every three months. Mm-hmm. It was. I'll tell you what, Joe, it was, you know, people say, uh, you know, the Noguera brothers came over here and got whooped. They say Mirko came over and got whooped. We were busted up, man. Yeah. You get in top shape every three months to fight, you know, a top guy. You get busted up, and it's it's hard. Yeah. It's so hard on the body to yeah. do something like that. Yeah, everybody who came over to America had already been past their prime in pride. They had already had a career. Noguera. Yeah, a full career. Yeah. Like, think of Noguera's wars. The wars yeah. that he had, the war with Fedor, with Krokop, with, uh, I mean, so many guys. Big Bob. Bob Sapp. <laughs> Bob was Bob. 375 pounds and pile-drived him. I love Bob, man. Apparently, Minotaur's neck was fucked up for the rest of his life after that really? fight. Yeah. I can see that. Of course. God yeah. dang. I mean, Bob was 375 with a six-pack. Which, what in the fuck was he taking? Uh, he, you know, what, 5% body fat? He was so big. Yeah. He was so big, it seemed like a like a boss character in a video game. Yeah. Like the, the final guy that you had to beat. <laughs> you know? I mean, Bob was just gigantic. And he and had some he, skills. Yeah, and he's the funniest guy. Was he? Oh, my God, he's so funny. You know? Um, and then... Uh, yeah, somebody told me not to say that to you. <laughs> that he was funny? Yeah. Bob's funny. He's, yeah. He, well, his character was hilarious. Oh, he yeah. put the cape on and everything, and <laughs> and they loved him in Japan, boy. Oh, they yeah. loved him over there. He was a huge superstar over there, right? Yeah. And then, um... But I think that time, that period of time from like 2001 to whenever it was that Pride went away, was like 2006 or something like that? So, uh, eight, maybe was it 10 years that. or eight years? Look at him and over him. <laughs> Look at Overeem, yeah. Horse meat. <laughs> they did, did they fight? I don't know. It says versus behind them. Oh, it is oh, an arm wrestling match. Okay. Well, Uberim is back. He's going back to glory. So they're going to let him get back on the secret sauce. We're going to see uh, Alistair Overeem. Yeah, good. That's what I say. Yeah. Listen, test all the fighters you have to test, but... When a guy's been saucy all throughout the best parts of his career, and then you make him come over here and be natural, I mean, we got a chance to see him against uh, Brock Lesnar when he was saucy. Right. You know? Right. When he was 265, jacked, built like a superhero. But then, you know, all these pesky USADA tests. You know what? If every athlete on the planet would tell USADA to kiss their fucking ass... Yeah. You know, they go away. They should go away. They have too much power. You know, to bang on somebody's door at 5 o'clock in the morning. How about when they were about to fight? Like, fight day. They did it to uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Really? On wasn't it him? Was, was it, it was him, yeah. Literally fight day. These motherfuckers wake him up at 6 o'clock in the morning and, and tell him to take a piss. I'd, I'd unleash the dogs. Man. Yeah, you know? yeah, that is insanity. It's, it's insanity that they would even think that would be okay. Right. And it's a, a huge disadvantage if they don't test his opponent. Right. They should test him at the same time. But even first of all, they should leave him the fuck alone. Yeah. That's it's crazy that they did that. I mean, the psychological yeah fuck that is. Yeah. You know. I mean, he's and he was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Are they really here?" Yeah. You know, he couldn't believe it. I mean, he's he's just trying to stay calm and get ready for a fight. And mm -hmm. 
when when you were fighting in Pride, they they test it all. Like they, uh, sure they tested. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they didn't give a fuck. We don't know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> they spilt it on the way to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Ensign told me that they had in the contract in all capital letters, "We do not test for steroids." Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said they were like. <laughs> Letting you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like uh, UFC 9 uh, when when um, McCarthy came in and said, you can't punch, you know, you close fist. Right. Or you will be fined somewhere, sometime, some amount down the road, right. you know. Right. So, yeah, go ahead, basically is what oh, he said. Oh, is that what he said? Oh, yeah. okay. So you will said- be fined eventually somewhere, some amount, you know. Oh, so it was one of those deals. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're going we're gonna to enforce this stupid rule, you know, that, you know. What was it like working in Pride? I liked it until... Until I found out that, um, you know, I had been robbed a couple of times and um, they were supposed to have paid your taxes. And then, you know, I went and did the last show as a favor, you know, and I took a tremendous cut. And, you know, then the next day I go in to get paid and the president of Pride's not there. So, fuck, something's up. And he said, yes, you know, uh, I'm not going to say his name because, you know, it's still questionable, everything. So he said, he's on the, he's not here, he's on the phone. I go, yeah, crap. He says, Don's on yesterday, Japanese IRS, come to our office looking for you. He said, they're downstairs right now waiting on you. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I had to go down there and pay my way out of Japan. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of weird shenanigans with money over there, right? That was why Bob Sapp wound up leaving, right? They they told him he, they wanted him to fight and he didn't have a contract. Yeah. And the day of the fight, there's still no contract. It's like, look, if I don't have a contract, right. I'm not going out there. And then they effectively kind of blackballed him and he never really re- reached those same heights again. They stopped right. promoting him, stopped, you know. Well, some ass swipe over there made the announcement that, uh, you know, the Yakuza's was involved with pride, you know, like that's a shocker. I mean, Yakuza's involved with everything. And over that killed there. the business over there, right? Yeah. Was that like the media did that, or a journalist did it that, was, or something? Yeah, a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody knew anyway, right? Right. right. Yeah. But you're not supposed to publicly announce it right. because then advertisers don't want to be involved in it. Right. Yeah. And th- is that what killed the business over yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. Destroyed it. Yeah. So how many years did it run for in its? Like in its heyday, I don't know. I th- I did the last one. I don't know if it was eight or nine. Do you know? We'll, f- we'll find out. Because so it was, it was like a good solid seven or eight years. No, it's more than that. I'm sorry. Was it? I'm thinking about myself here. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I came in at number nineteen, right? Oh, uh, was it? Yeah. Well, 19 or 21. Well, I remember the first one was uh, Hickson. Hickson fought the very first one. And yeah. they used, it was Hickson versus Takata, right? Wasn't that number one? I believe so. I don't know. I think that was. Because I think the way they launched Pride, I do remember that Hickson was the first one. Because the way they launched Pride was by having pro wrestling 
stars compete in MMA. Right. And that was one of the big attractant attractions to Pride because pro wrestling in Japan back then was gigantic, right? Oh yeah. Well, the UWF. Remember the mm-hmm. UWF? Yeah. That that was like the the first creation of, of Pride, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the, you know. Mm-hmm. They had they had um, their guys shooting on each other sometimes. You know? Sometimes, right, and sometimes not. Right. What that means for for people that don't understand what that means, some of the fights were a work, meaning like you knew who was going to win, you'd worked it out in advance, and some of the fights just turned out to be real fights. Mm-hmm. And that was a thing that would happen sometimes in Japan with pro wrestling, right? right? right. They would just decide that, and sometimes the opponent didn't know, right. And the guy would go out and start throwing haymakers at him and kick him and take him down, stomp him, and you're like, whoa. Well, it happened here, too. I mean, you had Gene LaBelle. Oh, yeah. You know, who was the, the muscle for his parents, you know? Yeah. You know, and then Roddy Piper was yep. the muscle for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um a lot of guys who were in pro wrestling were legit combat sports athletes right. and some of them were just pro wrestlers they just got into it just as uh, entertainers so there was a, a, a wide variety and over in japan takata was kind of uh you know he was a, a huge superstar over there and he but hickson would not agree to anything other than a real fight so yeah. when you watch that fight it's very clear <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but some of the fights weren't right right and you kind of had to like look at it with a discerning eye like you'd see a guy get caught in a heel hook, and you're like, "Hmm, like that looks a little fishy." Like, well, I remember um, after Ken Shamrock and I fought, I went to a WWE show here in in Tucson, and the Undertaker, he asked me if that was a work. Uh, he says, "Cause you both end up in a heel hook." And I'm like. Well, fuck yeah, we both ended up being heel hook. You know, we both, he had my foot and that was the only thing I grabbed, you know? <laughs> Shit. Yeah. That was a, that was a shoot, buddy. Yeah. yeah. It looked real. Oh, it believe me, it's real. Well, Ken was one of the very first guys to really master heel hooks. Yeah. And use those in the UFC early on. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> my God. Well, he, you know, had a hairline fracture on both my freaking ankles. You know, Did he really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you should have seen them. You know, we, me, my ex-wife and I, we would usually go from Japan to L.A., you know, but that time we stopped in uh, Hawaii, and my, my ankles are this big, you know. <laughs> just going, if I went the whole way, you know, I wouldn't be able, I could barely walk off that plane. You know? Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a little painful. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. How many fights did you have over there in Pride? Not a lot. Not a lot. Maybe, what, six or... Six or seven? Yeah. Something along those lines. Who do you think was your toughest fight over there? Oh, jeez. Takiyama would have to be my toughest fight. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest thing. But it was the most iconic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wore, wore me out, you know. I can only imagine. I mean, yeah. Physically and psychologically, I mean, you just, you just, you, you go, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. You know, 
it was kind of frightening, you know. You said something to me once. I'll never forget this about the Ken Shamrock fight. You said uh, that if you want to be honest, both of you left a little bit of yourself in that ring, and you were never the same afterwards. Oh yeah, oh yeah, never were. Yeah, there's some of those fights that you think back. And you think back how you were before the fight and how you were after the fight, and they were just so crazy, mm -hmm. so much violence, and it's just well, just the preparation too. Yeah, know? I mean the psychological preparation sometimes is harder than the physical really? preparation. Yeah, how so? You just got you have to separate yourself. Not only from your family, you know, your your wife and your kids and your friends, but the whole world. You know, I mean, I completely understand what it's like to come out of prison, you know. Mm. I mean, prison, not jail, but prison for a long time. Because you are just, you, like I said, not to be redundant, but I am, but. You completely separate yourself from everything, everything. Hmm. When you would prepare for these fights, where were you? Uh, where were you training at at the time? Uh, there in Tucson. Um, a couple of times I had to leave. You know, um, for the second Mark Coleman fight. You know, I went over and um, I had Frank Shamrock. You know, train. Oh, really? Yeah, and we couldn't train. I was so beat up. You know, mm -hmm. at that point in my in my career, uh, yeah, we'd get up. You know, go have breakfast, go get a massage, go to the chiropractor. You know, go go to the, get stretched, go to that. There was just hardly any any fighting. You know, um, just watch the fight on TV. You know, I mean, it was, it was all... just trying to keep your body healthy. Yeah, just to show up, yeah. Wow. So what kind of, like, physical training were you able to do when you were that banged up? Not much, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, like I said, we would just do stretching and just technique, you know, basically just technique. Really? Yeah. What'd you do for conditioning? <sighs> Oh, Joe, I don't even remember anymore. Really? For that fight, yeah. Because Shamrock, Frank in particular, was always a stickler for conditioning. Yeah. He was always an amazing cardio. Yeah. I mean, that was one of his big weapons, is he would put a pace on guys. That's what he did to Tito. That's what he did to John Lober in the rematch. Just mm -hmm. puts a, put a pace on guys they couldn't keep up with. Oh, Frank was amazing. He was a, people fuck. forgot about Frank. Yeah. He was a yeah. beast. He was an amazing athlete, yeah. 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 Remember when he uh, armbarred Kevin Jackson? Yeah. Won the title? Yeah. No, he was a monster. Yeah. That was, that's one of the things that, you know, I use an example. You know, it was a gold medalist. Yeah. You know, in, in the hardest discipline, you know. And Frank caught him, what, 30 seconds in yeah, the first round? Yeah, beautiful. Just yeah. beautiful. Yeah. You know, and, and Jackson's a stud. Oh, yeah. You know. Real stud. Amazing wrestler. Yeah. Super Have you ever worked out with him? No. No. Stronger than a fucking ox. Man. Oh, I could only imagine. I mean, all those elite wrestlers, the, the kind of strength those guys have. Remember when Royce Alger came over to the UFC and uh, um, Ensign, Ensign arm, yeah. arm armed him. Yeah. Fast, too. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Caught him in an arm bar. Mm -hmm. But so many wrestlers, they just didn't understand what they were getting into. No. Yeah. 
that's the thing, you know, you, you, you know, they, they leave those arms out there mm -hmm. and boom, they're snatched real fast. So when you were training with Frank, how did you hook up with Frank? How did, uh, how did that take place and where were you guys training? Oh, yeah. We were at his house. Was that, you was know? he in California at the time? Yes, sir. Yes, so you sir. went up there and just trained with him? Yes, did sir. Did you camp with him? Because I, you know, my, like my career going up and down, my marriage had a lot of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I needed to get the hell out of town, you mm. know, because. I get it. Yeah, things weren't going good. And, um. So how did you uh, make that connection with Frank? Hell. Uh, trying to figure that one out. Um, if. That was the second Coleman fight. So that was after Ken, right? But, uh, you know, I don't know how the hell that happened. But he, uh, I called him. I called you him. You called him? You need yeah. some help? Yeah. Yeah. I need to get out of town. I think, uh, because I had fought, uh, the French guy, the first French guy, um, New Year's Eve. Um, First French guy, not LeBanna. No. Oh, who's the other French guy? French guy. MMA? Huh? Jamie pull up his No, he's a kickboxer. And I boogered his eye up real bad, you know. Who was that? I'm trying to remember. I think it was Jamie, in, find it. Inoki. I think it was an Inoki show. Nah, that's uh, wasn't dynamite, right? So it was uh, yeah, it was a dynamite show. Well, that's right? Nakao, Nakao Akabono. No, no it's a white guy. All the way, it's Cyril. Oh, Cyril, Cyril Abidi. Oh, that's right. And you got him with a rear naked yeah, choke. Yeah, no keep moving. Yeah, mm. man. So back then, when you uh, trained with Frank. The Lion's Den was probably the first real mixed martial arts team mm -hmm. where they were like really prepared. Them and Militich fighting systems, right? Right. Pat Militich's place and the Lion's Den. They were two of the very first guys that were really putting together a real legit MMA team where they had like real, like for the time, scientific right. training, real technique training, and real preparing guys for things. Well, you know, like you said, you, you they had a team. Yeah. You know, I had a group of guys, you know. Um, I had the first group of non-white guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all my guys were Mexican, except for a couple of white boys, you know. And, right. Arizona. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're tough, tough guys, man, loyal. You know, one guy was a former uh, sniper in the SEALs. Another couple of guys were, were uh, former... Uh, Marines. Um, and what discipline would those guys have, martial arts wise? Basically, judo and wrestling. Judo you know, and wrestling, but boxing too. Mm -hmm. So, same thing I had. So, when you would prepare for a fight back then, did you have like a head trainer that was like Steve Owen was my head trainer, and he he would prepare your camps and the whole yeah. deal. Yeah, Steve is amazing. You know, we call him the Evil Yoda. You know. <laughs> He is. He's, he he was a great uh, judo guy. 
um, several times national judo champion, a couple times world. I mean, just amazing. And he can look at a fight, you know, five minutes of a fight, and boom, have it, have uh, the game plan drawn up. And so he was one of the. So he was one of the first guys that was in your your camp that like. Oh yeah, he was my. He was my judo sensei. Oh. Okay, okay. my first judo sensei was a guy. Um, fuck me, no. Uh, Torres, what the. Jeez, Louise, no, I feel like an asshole. No, I no, remember my sensei's name. It happens. Oh, what the fuck is his name? Kiyoki. Kiyoki uh. Torres. Or George Torres, but he goes by Kiyoki. You know, he lives in Hawaii now. But uh, Kiyoki was my first. Um, he ran a kid's um, judo club down there on Fort Huachuca. And um, so I started going there on Saturday mor- mornings, and Steve would come down, you know. He would work he'd up at Tucson, be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday nights, and then he'd come down Saturday morning for the kids, you know. But the rest is up at Tucson, so um, he, I would drive up there, you know, um, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night. I'd go up there and train and uh, jump in the truck and drive home, you know, get home at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, you know, because I would always uh, feed my guys, you know. After after we worked out, I'd take them out for dinner, you know, and a couple of beers for me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Even in training? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Up until, like, the fight? Oh, night before, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you and Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah. And Cowboy still does that. He'll, he, he keeps drinking. Yeah. I mean, the, the, one of the worst, I, I lost to a fucking idiot I shouldn't have lost to because um, my my wife at the time decided I was drinking too much and taking too many pills. So her and uh, a couple of the guys took my booze and my pills the night before the fight and I started going through withdrawals during the fucking fight. No. Yeah. Yeah. That was something someone told me the other day that I could not believe. They were telling me and I don't want to name any names but big time fighters particularly kickboxers that fought on heroin. Really? They fought on pills. They fought on opiates. Yeah I did that and that's when my career went to shit. Yeah. And it was just because of all the pain that you were in, right? I mean, you said that by the time the Cyril Abidi fight, you were already banged up to the point where you could barely train. Yeah. But you think about how long your career went after that. It's crazy. I mean, you know, that your... was a Coleman fight. Oh, it was a Coleman fight. Yeah, it was so fucked up. I remember I met Frank. Frank had trained Cyril for a fight me. And then I, I called Frank to train me for the Coleman fight. You know, but you had a lot of fights even after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You rolled that motherfucker till the wheels fell off. Yeah, <laughs> and the frame <laughs> fell off, man. The frame. That's, yeah, you seen the frame? Exactly. They re- they had to redo your <laughs> yeah, frame. Yeah, frame up yeah. restoration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right down to the bare chassis. So when you your last fight was what 2011 somewhere around that? Yes, sir. Kind of crazy. 
five months after my fifth back surgery. Wow. Five months after your fifth back surgery, you had a fight. Yeah, stupid. Fucking stupid. But you want you will still want to do it right now. The the thing about guys like you, it's like you never lose the itch. Right. It's your body just fails you. Yeah. And the tougher the guy, the more the body starts to fall apart because you're willing to train through pain. Mm-hmm. You look at guys like, um, I mean, Cain uh, Velasquez is a great example. One of the greatest of all times, but his body just couldn't hang in there. His, his knees blew out, his back blew out, his neck blew out, his shoulders blew out. He had all these surgeries and eventually he just stopped being the guy that everybody knew was Cain. You know, mm. just, his body just wouldn't do what his mind could do. Yeah, you lose. Yeah. You, you learn that in, in in amateur wrestling, though. Yeah, you, know, you learn to keep going. Yeah, you, you know. Um, I think I broke. I first broke my neck when I was in college, and um, didn't know it. I thought I had fucked up my shoulder. You know, because um, it was shooting down your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, so what happened was. Uh, Dan Severn's little baby brother Rod and I, we were roommates, and we went down uh, to my parents' house um, for Thanksgiving or something. Anyways, we were out on those fucking three-wheelers. Oh, no. Yeah. That's how you did it? Yeah. Oh, no. Drinking and going over and, and, um, you know, last last jump of the day. Oh, well, it ended no. up being the last jump. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we've been there for a couple of hours, gone through a few cases of beer, and truck truck pulls up, and uh, they get out, you know, and look, look at the little sissies, you know, because they had the shoulder pads and knee pads and gloves, you know, right. all that, and, you know, laughing at them. And so then I go off, jump, Front tire first, boom, boom, boom. Oh boom. no! Yeah, so I thought I tore up my shoulder, but um, twenty years later, when they did my neck, the guy said, "When'd you break your first? When did the first time you broke your neck? You know?" And you didn't know you'd ever broken your neck. No, didn't know. But I wrestled. You know, I I kept that was um, in eighty eight, eighty seven. 8687 and then I I sat out a year in in amateur wrestling because of the injury cuz of your neck? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I thought it was a shoulder, but it was the neck. But and then I rehabbed it, you know, and um, cuz they redid the shoulder. Uh, they cut off the anaclavical bone back then. It was how they would solve shit. What did they do? Cut off the end of my clavicle bone. They cut off the end of it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because it was just destroyed, so they just lob it off, throw it away. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. And, uh... That's early 90s surgeries? Yeah, yeah. Fuck. 80s. 80s? the end of the 80s. And then, um... Jeez, freaking Kurt Angle wrestled in the Olympics with a broken neck, didn't he? Yeah, he, he won the gold medal with amazing. a broken neck. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, well, there's I, no one tougher than wrestlers. Yeah, I know. I fuck. They cut. They fixed the shoulder. Cut off the. It was the right shoulder, I think. And yeah, it was the right shoulder. And um. 
So they put me, Bobby Douglas put me on a medical scholarship, you know, so it would open up mm-hmm. a scholarship for the team, which is what needed to be done. And um, so I, so then I rehabbed it through 87 and then probably through 88, you know, um, I went up and, uh, you know, working out with the team and all that, but I went up to the Las Vegas Southwestern Regional Qualifying Tournament for the Olympics. And I won that in Greco and freestyle. And then I went to, which made you, qualified you for the national f- finals, you know. And so then I went up there for the Greco and got my ass handed to me. <laughs> you know, I, I thought, you know, you get lucky every once in a while and you think you're good at it. And, and uh, but they wouldn't let me go to the um, freestyle. You know, they said pick one or the other. And like a dumbass, I picked the wrong one, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but I ended up taking fifth. I think I took fifth that year, fifth or sixth in the national freestyle tournament you know must have been six because they took the first five <laughs> it always a bridesmaid you know right <laughs> and uh, but yeah art martori you know was a must was the money guy back then you know for for the olympic uh, team almost so when Art's did a great guy so with all the injuries when did you first start uh taking pain medication Oh fuck! You know, the first time was in '96. You know, um, so this was during the UFC days. Yeah, because that was UFC eight was what? Was that '96? Yeah, that was February '96, and then. Crap, Joe. What the hell? Do you remember when you started fighting on him? No, that was a fucking mistake when that was... Uh, well, what happened, I did... I heard something in the UFC. I broke my hand, right? Or Coleman. Coleman beat the hell out of me. Remember Coleman beat the yeah. hell out of me in the, in, in the UFC 10? Yeah. And so then they... You know, he broke my ocular, I think it is, or occipital, I don't know. And um, and uh, then something else happened. Anyways, then I fought. Uh, Mark Hall was my first fight that night. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, I was offered a fight. Um, against him in Japan in November, right before, you know, November 96. And, um, our, uh, Bob Meyerowitz found out that I was going to do that and that Dan was going to do that, you know, and he was pissed because the opportunity of ruining the ultimate ultimate too. Right. And, and I says, come on. Bob, it's Mark Hall. You know, <laughs> come on. And uh, Mark Hall was undersized, right? Yeah, smaller yeah, guy. Yeah, he's a tough buck, guy. Buck eighty-five. He's yeah. a fucking idiot. Are you was he? Me? Yeah, he's an idiot. I didn't know. Fucking. Idiot. I don't know him at all. 
he, you'd want to slap him upside the head if you did. <laughs> well, the fucking guy's going around saying that, you know, um, he took a dive. Oh, did he? Yeah, against me at the ultimate ultimate, you know, his second round. You know, fuck him. Oh. I didn't need, I'd already beat him twice. I, you know, he would be the last person in there I wanted to take a dive, you know, but... Um, so I beat Gary Goodridge, you know, in the first round, ultimate, ultimate. And I, a uh, buddy of mine, Dave Norch, he had gone with me for the fire department. He was a paramedic, okay? So he hits me up with a line, you know. We put two bags, two or three bags after the Goodridge fight. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Which, boom, you know. Fired you right back up. Probably right back fresh as a daisy, <laughs> you know. And, um... So then I beat Hall, boom, you know, fast. I mean, Tank knocks out his guy, you know. And so, God damn, he's dead. He broke his neck, you know. You hear all these Alabama guys, you know. Was that Steve Nelmark? Yeah. That was a crazy KO. That was Ooh, that was a wild one. Tank could fucking crack. Oh, man. It was, it was like... One of those puppets, you know, somebody mm -hmm. just cut the strings. Yep. We just folded yeah. back on them. That themselves. was one of the great KOs of those days. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was. I, I didn't see it. So. <laughs> and then it was you and Tank in the finals? Yep. Tank and I in the finals. Yeah, right. and you got his back. It yeah. was a crazy war, then you got his back and finished well, him. fuck. I mean, stupid ass me, you, you know, I walk out, lumber out there, and step sideways Heel, heel. What happens when you stand on your heels, Joe? You get knocked backwards. You get knocked on your ass, yeah. you know. You shouldn't be. And stupid ass, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, you know, heel, heel. But as soon as yeah. that second heel landed, he hit me, you know, with a jab. Yeah. So, boom, boom, boom. Hard jab, though. Yeah. That motherfucker, yeah. Kid, everything he did was hard. Damn right. You know, he was like. Um, you want to talk about a guy who could drink. Yeah. I made a mistake of drinking with him one night. Him and his buddies at the bar. Yeah. Tank it put him away. I remember one time uh, I was there for, I forget which event was, but there was a giant brawl that broke out right after I went to bed. I, I left everybody. Everybody was downstairs in the after fight area, hanging out, drinking. And uh, it was getting late, so I was like, well, I'm going to go to bed. So I went upstairs to go to bed, and then I heard, uh, like, you just missed it. Yeah. Apparently, Valigi, uh, Valid Ishmael, and uh, Tank got into a brawl, and there was just chairs flying and all kinds of crazy shit, and I missed it by like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Brazilians here. They'd fight at the drop of a drop hat. Drop of a hat. Man. Yeah, fuck. I mean, yeah. I remember over here in Pride having breakfast, you know, a couple of times they almost got right next to my table. Like, yeah. Guys, I'm fucking eating here, you know? Start brawling. Well, yeah. there's so many brawls back then, right? Charles Crazy Horse Bennett and... Vandalay Silva brawled backstage. Yeah. Yeah. Legendary fights backstage. If someone should do a documentary on Pride. They really, they do, really should. should. They really should. Because it was just a fucking crazy time in martial arts history. And it was also a time when Fedor was in his prime. Yeah. And I think it's arguable that Fedor in his prime was the greatest heavyweight of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's between my mind. It's hard to say because, you know, like... 
Fabricio Verdun beat both him and Kane, right? But I think he caught Fedor when Fedor was battle-worn and mm-hmm. was pretty deep into his career. And also there was testing over in America. There wasn't testing in, in Japan. Right. You know, and then the same thing with uh, with Kane. When uh, Fabricio caught Kane, Kane had already gone through. It, it had been a pretty long, extensive career. But it's... Uh, it's arguable that when he like when he fought Krokop, when he fought Nogueira, when he fought uh, all those guys over there, it was arguable that Fedor was the greatest. Well, Fedor was the greatest. There's no reason to even fucking talk about it. Mm. You know, I mean, it's simple. If you ever watch the man fight live, it it it, it was something you'll never forget. You know. I mean, those things over there, they were they were events. They weren't just a fight, you know, you go yeah. to, you know, on a Saturday night, hey, let's go watch the fight, you know. They were fucking events. They were, like I said, Super Bowl every three months. Yep. The women would get dressed up. The men would, you know, I mean, you know, you planned your whole fucking week around it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They'd, they'd go out and have their dinner, you know, steak dinner, you know, not, not beer on the back of the pickup, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. We used to get up in the morning and watch them because they were live from Japan. So they'd be on here, like, I forget what it was. Five in the morning. Something crazy like that, yeah. And we would watch them live. Yeah, you you never went to a Pride? No, I missed it. They offered me a a gig commentating at one point. Yeah, they came to meet me in, uh, I forget where it was, one of the UFC events back when I was doing the interviews. And they uh, they offered me a gig to commentate in Pride, and I was like, ah, oh man, yeah, fucked up. I should have done it at least once. Who owned the UFC, Bob? That was Bob. Bob did back in the day. Yeah, Bob I, was such a good guy, but he did not like any you going anywhere or doing anything else. You know, he was, mm. he, he was a good man, but he was solid on on loyalty. You know, and he felt. You know that you're betraying him. Mm. You know, which is probably probably the truth at the time. You know. Well, there was so much competition, and there was only. I mean, the UFC was the big thing in America, but Pride was way bigger than the UFC back oh, then yeah. in terms of size. It wasn't even close. No. UFC was doing small places in comparison to what Pride was doing. Well, it was that fucking McCain. Yep. You yep. Know? Yeah. He was choking him out. And then when Zufa bought the UFC, when the Fertitas and Dana White came along, then they had the business plan, and then they had the money. Mm-hmm. And even then, I mean, they were real close to bailing. Yeah. At one point in time, they were $40 million in debt, Yeah. which is just nuts. Crazy. That was right when the Ultimate Fighter came along, and they, they had actually talked to Dana on the phone and said, let's try to sell it. And Dana was going to sell it. They were going to start putting out offers and try to see you know, who wanted to buy the UFC. And then uh, I guess Fertitta changed his mind. I guess um, they just decided, listen, we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait it out. And then they did the Ultimate Fighter, and then boom, it takes off. But apparently, they were literally at the, like, they were thinking about putting out the offers, and they, he actually made the phone call <clears throat> and decided to, Lorenzo did, to Dana. And Dana was ready to sell it. And then they, they changed their mind last minute, and then boom, look what it is now. It's kind of wild, because if they sold it, who the fuck knows what would have happened? Right. I would have quit for sure. I would have stopped doing commentary. Um, yeah. They probably 
would have, uh, you know, they would have had to have somebody that had a lot of media savvy that knew how to uh, market the company and, and try to re rebrand it or something. And they probably would have sold it and they probably would have lost a lot of money too because it, before the Ultimate Fighter in 2005, it wasn't really worth that much money. No. It wasn't, it wasn't, but then when the Ultimate Fighter happened and Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin fought live on TV and they had that crazy fucking brawl and then it became popular. Yeah. So that one fight made the sport. It's wild in a lot of ways. That was a defining moment. Didn't make the sport, but it was a defining moment for the sport. Right. Defining moment for the sport in America. Right. But meanwhile, in Japan, at the same time, they were doing the Saitama Super Arena. Yeah. Huge events, gigantic, spectacular crowds, fifty, sixty thousand people. It was wild. Oh man. The walk-ins and that the crazy pride lady that would introduce <laughs> everybody. Her introductions were legendary. Oh, fucking funny. The first time I fought, she called me Dan. Oh, did she? <laughs> That's funny. Can I get a cup of coffee? Yeah, yeah, sure. Here, go. Water. Oh, oh, fuck. What do you want? Coffee. Here we go. I didn't know that. I'm sorry, Joe. No worries. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know. This is my water here? Yeah. Thank you. When you think back, I mean, what a crazy life you've lived. I mean, you lived like a movie life. You know? Yeah, nobody would believe it. They <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't believe it. If it wasn't a movie, it'd be a crazy, spectacular movie for you to go from being a guy who's uh, shoeing horses and working in a fire department. All of a sudden, you, you decide, ah, oh, I could do that. And you take a fight. The next thing you know, well, I guess I'm fighting now. Yeah. To all the way to Japan to kickboxing, Jerome LeBanner, and the fighting in these <laughs> giant arenas and doing New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it's a crazy life you've lived on, Fry. It was a fun one. It was yeah. a fun one. Yeah. And I'm. Half the time I'm done, you know? I'd, I'd, I got my bulldog, Quinn, and if it wasn't for her, I'd have died it went, you know? She's the only reason I'm here now. Your bulldog? Yeah. Really? Yeah. My, yeah, my kids are grown, you know? They don't have time for me, you know? They're good good girls, beautiful, smart, you know? But, you know, they're 20, 21. They have their life. Yeah. yeah. When you think back on the, all the, the damage that it did to your body, if you had to go back and do it all again, would you do it again? Bitch, your sweet ass. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to you know, say that. I want to do it now if you know, Columbia works out for me. Yeah, right? When you um, you see the fighters today and you, you know that you're a gigantic part of the evolution of the sport, I mean, you're a pioneer. You were there in the, the early days. When you see what it what it's like now, it's it's got to be pretty crazy to see and know that you were a vital part of the beginning of this thing. You know, I really don't understand what you're saying about you know about being a vital part and being. A... You were one of the legends, man. You're like if you if you go back and look at the the legends of the sport, Don Fry. You're one of the legends, man. Whether you believe it or not, you're you're one of the fucking OGs. When I told my friends that I was having you on the podcast today, yeah. people were like, oh shit, they were so excited. Oh, People yeah. are pumped. People fucking love you, man. They love you because you are you. You are 100% authentic. You wear your heart on your sleeve. You don't bullshit. You're a fucking real man. You're the, you're the real deal, Don Fry. Thanks. Thanks, partner. 
It's not a lot of people like you. <laughs> Probably a good, good call. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, what you've done in your life, there's not a lot of humans that would have followed your path. Very few people. No, they go for the easy route. I, I'm yeah. not very smart enough to take the easy route. <laughs> <laughs> How many uh, of those fights do you think you, you fought when you were on the pain pills? Oh, shit, Joe. Um, after Shamrock, eh, everyone. All of them, huh? Yeah. You just had to? Yeah, yeah. I had no choice, you know. Um, yeah, my body was so beat up. And then, you know, being a dumbass, you, you think, okay, I've been, I live on these things. I train on these things, you know. I can fight on these things. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> I think there was a lot of people doing that, though. That's right. what my friend was telling me the other night. He was telling me, look, man, you don't know, but I'm telling you a lot of those guys were fighting on heroin. They are fighting on opiates. I never did the heroin. But opiates, pain yeah. pills, it's the same thing. It's You know, it's opiates. Yeah, I, I did that. Um, what was that shit Kerr was on? Oxycontin? No, the, the Percocets, the injectables. Oh, injectable. Well, I don't know what that is. From the Smashing Machine? Yeah. That movie was a wake-up call for a lot of people, huh? Yeah. I never saw the thing. It's crazy. I, I saw bits and pieces, but... It's a crazy yeah. fucking documentary. Yeah. And they caught him. You know, that wasn't the purpose of that film. The purpose of that film, when they started making that documentary, was when Mark Kerr was in his prime, and what a fucking specimen that guy was, right? Right, right. And they, were, they wanted to document this guy who was this fucking elite super athlete wrestler who was the smashing machine. Who was just That's what they nicknamed him over there, and he was just killing everybody. And during the process of filming it, they realized, like, wow, this guy's addicted to pain medication. Mm -hmm. And he was real open about it, and he showed them everything. And then you got to see the two, he, they caught him at, during the filming, right when the wheels were falling off. So it was right. just, just complete dumb luck that that documentary became sort of um, a cautionary tale. Yeah, I know that um, back then around that time, some Hollywood producer came out to the house and uh, he wanted to do... Uh, one of one of those shows, you know, but I was just, my body was starting to fall apart so bad, and I'm like, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna be able to keep this going. Yeah, and I, you know, the kids, kids are little, you know, one and two, uh, or less than that, and I didn't want, I didn't want these people in my house, right? right. You know, because you know, just had the kids, and then. Like you said, the wheels were falling off, man, and and I knew I knew things were about to go to shit, you know, but I didn't want to tell anybody that. <laughs> right? Did anybody know other than your trainers? Yeah. Did you your know, wife? Know? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. When did you did you were you thinking you weren't going to be able to do this much longer? Were you trying to figure out something else to do with your life? Oh, of course, of course. But it's hard for fighters, especially when you're making that much money, right? Yeah. And that's all you know. Right. I mean, all I've known is physical. You know, fireman, horseshoer, you know, or farrier, you know, um, fighter. Uh, everything was physical, and and then 
you know, you're about to lose it all. Yeah. You know, and you know you're about to lose it all. Right. Yeah, that's the uh, untold story of fighters before and after their careers. You know, during camps, all you see is the fights. Yeah. Everybody sees the fights, and the fights are amazing. But most people have no idea the kind of pain and injury guys are going through just with almost every camp. Yeah. Just shit, Joe. You know, I wake up at 6 in the morning now, and it takes me six hours to to get beyond the 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 kitchen, you know. Really? <laughs> Does it? Yeah, you know. I'm getting better. I've been outside a couple of times, you know, before <laughs> noon. <laughs> wow. And what, what kind of medications do they have you on to deal with all this? Now I'm on morphine. Um, uh, hydromorphone, I think it's diloxid, and then and morphine, you know, and... It's it's not enough, but I don't want to go. You know, I haven't had a drink since um, September of, uh, of um, 2016. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I ain't gonna lie to you, I'd like to have one. <laughs> so, yeah. was the problem with the drinking with the pills? Well, you know, that's that's what my ex-wife claimed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, shit. It, I didn't think it was that bad, but you know, I mean, <laughs> you're a fucking animal, though. I don't remember. I don't remember what happened. You know. Yeah. When you, you you get to taking the pills and the alcohol, you're not always uh, knowing what you're saying. See, I, right. I I insulted a lot of people, you know, but it wasn't my words. It was words that. I didn't create, it was, I was like repeating shit I had heard, you right, know? Right, Because you're just out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't something that was, you know, just like, uh, I don't, I don't hate anybody. Right. But, um, you know, when, when you're pilled up and you're drunk, you, you spew a lot of hatred. Right. You know? Especially when you're constantly in pain, too. Yeah. Right? Oh fuck! You're miserable. Just yeah. being a miserable prick. Are you uh, constantly in pain right now? No, just ninety percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so not constantly. No, no, there's a good ten percent there. Yeah. So even sitting here, like with this thing that you have on your chest, is this like a back support? Oh, it's supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to be on my belly. Yeah. <laughs> what does up. that thing do? Uh, it just like a weightlifting belt. Yeah, heavy duty. Belt, yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's just big in the back, you know. It looks like Ric Flair's championship belt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and just to keep everything together, yeah, support it, you know, give it uh, strength, yeah. But even with all the pills, it's still you're still in pain. Oh yeah. yeah so well, what do the pills just do? Just take a little bit the of the edge, edge off. They talk the edge off, so so that you can get going. You know, fuck Joe. Um, like I said, first surgery was May 2010. You know, it, it, uh, things went really bad in 08, you know, when my father passed away. And um, I could only walk 40 steps. You know, it would take me half an hour to get out to the barn to feed the horses. You know, I'd go 40 steps, sit down. 
40 steps sit down the for crazy five, thing is 10. how many times did you fight after that you fought at least twice after that yeah fuck i fought I don't know. You got the you got the card, <laughs> the record. You yeah. fought when you had been in that condition. That's really crazy. Really stupid. Well, you just you're a wild motherfucker, man. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing gotta, with yourself these days? You what feed is this? the family? You know? I, I understand. I understand. Your uh, toxic masculinity shirt. Yeah. Like that. Dan and Don's toxic masculinity. Yeah. Is that you and? Uh, Mr. Severn. Severn, what yeah. are you? What are you guys doing with that? What is? What is this uh, shirt? Uh, we have a podcast. Do you really? Yes, sir. What's yes. it on? It's on everything. Apple, all that jazz. Partner beats hell on me. Huh? <laughs> there it is. Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity Podcast. How is uh, Dan doing? Dan's doing great. And Dan's amazing, man. He's got know? some wild stories, too. I want to get him in here as well. You got to. Dan I have to. Did. I yeah. mean, because he was there at the beginning. The very beginning, you know? yeah. You got to get him. He huh? was UFC 2, right, wasn't he? No, I think 4. 4, four or 5. Or was it? Okay. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I came in 8. I think that was, um, all right, this thing started in 93, but actually, ninety four because there's only one event in ninety three, right? You know, and that one is hard. To, it was hard to find back in the day. They don't. I think there's something going on with the rights to it. So I, the first one I saw was in ninety four. I watched a videotape of it. Yeah. I got it from a videotape store back in the days when you have like Blockbuster Video and shit like yeah. that. Yeah, I still got a couple VHS tapes. Do you? Yeah, I don't know if uh, I think I might have one or two that's not even opened yet. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> they're probably worth a lot of money. You think so? Yeah, fucking eBay. Those are classics now. <laughs> if they're not even opened, yeah, yeah, I bet you could eBay the shit out of them, especially if you sign it. Uh, I got, I got a couple of my T-shirts. You know, oh, yeah? original T-shirts, yeah. Oh, really? And then I've got um, a couple of the programs. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll oh. have to f find one, I'll send it to you. Yeah, you know? please do. Um, what was funny was the program from Ultimate Ultimate 2. You know, I mean, back then it was... Like on on paper, you know, mm -hmm. eight and a half by eleven paper, yeah. and they just take down the Xerox machine, you know, yep. and then staple it up and hand it out. Yep, and that was it. Wow, yeah, it was fucking funny. But um, going back to Ultimate Ultimate Two, see, I didn't want to fight Mark Kerr or Mark Hall, you know, because I had already beat him twice, and. I knew there would be bullshit involved. I just knew there would be bullshit involved. How so? Because we had the same manager, you oh. know, and and like why fighting three times in a fucking row? Right. I wanted to fight. Um, there's a black guy whose name was Ty Bowden. Ty Bowden. Yeah, I don't know if that was real in Tybo, but oh. Ty Bowden, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's his real name or not, but he had a, um, for his photo, he had a karate 
uh, gee guy with his head cut out and taped on. They're glued on. <laughs> <laughs> I says, I want to fight that guy. And they're like, no, you can't. You already beat a black guy. <laughs> if, you, if you beat two black, you don't live crazy. So like, Come <laughs> on. Who said that, your manager? No, I don't know who said that. Oh, that's you know? hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, beyond it's one of those stupid fucking things that you know you believe now. You know, but not twenty years ago. I wish someone was filming all those events back then. Oh, because yeah. they were in these weird little rickety arenas, and it, it was so strange back then. It was oh. like I remember the first one I did was which was in Dothan. Yeah. I remember even being there while it was happening. I'm like, this is the crazy. The the fact that I'm even here, this is the craziest thing ever. You had to fly in propeller planes. Yeah. You had to do it in these weird towns where they let it happen because it was mostly illegal in most of the states in the country. Well, look what happened to Kevin Randleman. You know, he slipped on a on a pipe. Yeah, and, and fell and, and banged his head. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, how dirty does an arena have to be that you, you fall on pipes? <laughs> yeah, he slipped on a pipe and fell and banged the back of his head off the ground and couldn't fight. Yeah. Yeah. I think he knocked himself out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how hard it was to knock out round? <laughs> yeah, right? I think he was the most athletic competitor ever be in the UFC. He was a tremendous athlete. Yeah. Tremendous. He was so fast. Remember when he knocked out Krokop in Pride? Yeah. Nobody saw that coming. No. I mean, Krokop was one of the most elite strikers of all time. And Randleman was such a powerful wrestler that he was worried about the shot. He faked the shot and came in with a left hook. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Randleman was amazing athlete. Amazing. I think, like I said, I think he was the the greatest athlete ever be in the UFC. Do you ever see the the holes that that guy, the staff infections that guy had? Yeah, but I don't remember. <laughs> oh my god, they were crazy. He had he took photos of them, put them online. He had holes in his like armpit area where you could see all the muscle tissue. Like it was wide open. Oh, oh so nasty that the staff had gotten through his skin and just it left these big abscesses. Like I'm talking three four inch holes. Like J Jamie, see if you can find it because it's. It's one of the most fucked up things. You have to see it. Like, a lot of folks don't know how bad staph infections can yeah. get. I always show them Kevin Randleman's injuries. Look at that. Look at that Jeez. hole. Look how bad that is. Crazy, right? Did Hard they ever close up? Yeah, they they've closed up, but, I mean, he died young. I mean, it had to contribute. Yeah, look at his knee. Is that his knee over there in the bottom? Uh, somebody else's knee. Oh, that's somebody else's knee? Yeah. Okay. Another horrible staph infection. Staff is some scary fucking shit. It is nasty. Yeah. It is. I had that. Yeah. Um, like I said, oh, jeez. I don't know which surgery it was, but I. The back. Yeah. And. Jeez, fucking Lee Joe. What the hell? I know that it had gotten in the surgeon um, that did my first replacement he was from south korea he was a harvard graduate you know put himself through college you know going to harvard and um he said he almost vomited <laughs> wow you know during the surgery jesus you know? christ and then and then that was and then um that was in 10 or 11 no it was 12 or 13 and then um the one that was in my in my spinal cord the second time 
that was in 17 or 18, you know, in Tucson. That's one of the biggest problems with surgeries, right? Those yeah. infections. Yeah. And uh, they they were like, yeah, we got you just in time. You know, what's <laughs> fucked up about the whole thing was that um, they had put me in... The, the first doctor didn't believe it. They couldn't find anything, you know. So they put me in a in a, an old folks home, you know, where you, where you go to die, basically. Really? Yeah. And, um, fuck. And I would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning just screaming because the pain medication would wear off. And... Yeah, I'd wake up screaming, you know, so I need some pain medication. <laughs> and they go, you're not due for another two hours. Turn off the light, close the door, go down the hall. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, I'd be screaming. And I'd call up my buddy Jeff. you got to get me out of here. you got to get me. And so I made the, finally got a hold of the fire department. They came down to get me. I'm screaming, this is the infection in my spinal cord. And I, yeah, fuck, I, you know, and the guy's like, you don't quit cussing, I'm going to decline to take you. Oh, my God. I'm like, what? And I look at this captain. I said, you're kidding me, right? And he says, no. Like, he says, well, I was a fire department, we put up with all kinds of fucking cussing and all that. He says, things have changed, man. You know? Jesus. Yeah, could you, I mean, and I was this close to buying the farm. Wow. You know? So the doctor just missed the infection. Just yeah. yeah. And so then they finally get you in. They got in there, and they said my spinal cord was all lumpy and swollen and all that. And then they just kind of poked it, and oh, all this stuff come out. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So this jackass fucking paramedic, you know, uh, didn't want to take me because I was cussing. That's and, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a life you've had, Don Fry. What a life. Well, if I had the money, I'd get a lawyer and go after him. <laughs> yeah. And then, or, or whoop his ass. <laughs> Just give me five minutes in the ring with me. That's all. <laughs> so, how often are you doing this podcast with Dan now? <clears throat> Excuse me, sir. Um,. That it's it's gone down to, I think it's been uh, three weeks now. We were supposed to do it every week, and then um, Dan went back to Michigan. Dan owns an island. He does. <laughs> oh yeah, one of the one of the one of the lakes there. You know, so he went back there to redo his cabin. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So he's got a, a like a small island yeah. that you have to row your boat out to. Yeah, nice. yeah, a one acre place. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, oh, that's cool. cool. A one acre island. Yeah, that's, that's sweet. That's pretty badass. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm envious of him, man. But I'm happy for him. That know? guy had how many MMA fights? He must have had a hundred. He's had over a hundred. Yeah. Crazy. And the thing is, he's got him and. There's three guys had over a hundred fights, but Jeremy Horn. Yeah, him and Jeremy have winning records, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Yeah, the other guy does. Shannon the Cannon. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to say his name. Yeah, but. <laughs> well, only said one part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Don, we got some barbecue for you. 
So right, uh, we're, we're tired we're, talking to me. Yeah. No, you're great, man. But I know you got to be hungry. I know you eat every hour. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure, sir. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry. I'm you're awesome, rich, man. Rich. I wanted to bring Rich because you know when we go to a fight, I I get tunnel vision. You right. know, so I only. You know, concentrate on 25, 30% of what's going on. You know, Rich is taking care of the other 70%, you know, Rich or or Steve or somebody, you know. So you're missing 70% of the story. No, listen, what I got was gold. What I got was gold. I'm telling you, though, Rich has got some good shit. <laughs> All right, well, I'll talk to him sometime, you're too. Gonna have to, you're going to have right. to come out to my house, man. All right, I would love to. Are yeah? You, where are you, which part of Arizona you at? Tucson. But next time I'm in Tucson, I'll come out. I All do right. gigs out there sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm in North Tucson, only like an hour away from Phoenix. Okay. Mesa. I'll know, make that Tempe. happen. Yeah. All right. That'd be great. Don, you're the fucking man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. you very much, man. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Don Fry, ladies and gentlemen. 